Lee. Welcome back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Mike, are you ready in there to judge the Garden Grappler? You're not going to judge, God forbid. You're just going to write down names and addresses of the winners for the Garden Grappler. Okay, good. He's nodding his head yes, like, if I have time, I'll do it. Okay, all right, good, good. Because you're going to call in and win some prizes. Don Shore is here from Redwood Barn Nursery. He will be the judge to your answers to today's Garden Grappler, which is name a warm season annual. So, Don, let's define our terms here. What is what is warm season and what is an annual? Warm season would be things that grow and flower between May and October. Okay. I think uh, earliest would be April, and some of them will stretch into the winter, but oh, they're yeah. killed by frost. Right. And then a true annual would be a plant that grows, flowers, seeds, and dies. But we'll also accept subtropical plants grown as annuals. Okay, there is that category. And uh, probably reseeding annuals. Right. Okay. Now, they would not include things that we plant here for bloom in the winter. We would call those... Uh, cool season annuals. Correct. All there right. go. <laughs> okay. So, what you're doing, folks, is naming a warm season annual. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. The numbers to call in, 576-1578, 576-1578 in the 916, outside the area, 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255. Name a warm season annual. I think we've named a dozen or so on today's program. Times, various shows. times, yeah. Yep. We've, and again, there is a clue available, not only at FarmerFred.com, when you click on the link that says a clue for the Garden Grappler, but also at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is a clue uh, tacked on to uh, a picture of a, of a wilting... Uh, Hibiscus mastiotus. Is that right? Yes. It is a great plant. Not an annual, but it's a wonderful yes, plant. Yes, it is. Exactly. And the, the, that subject, why that picture is there, is because of hot weather gardening and the things wilt, especially those in containers when it gets to be 100 degrees or more. I love the hibiscus mastiotus. That's one of the best for this area. It's actually, yeah. people come in looking for the tropical hibiscus. They've flown, they've been to Hawaii or San Diego and they see it and they want to grow it here. And there are places that sell them. They're, they are spectacular. They're absolutely amazing. We can't get them through the winter here without essentially having a greenhouse. But the one you mentioned, the Southern Bell, yeah. uh, Dixie Bell series of the hibiscus moscutus, mosquitos, whatever you want. That's saying it that way so that people can look it up, moschiotos. Or um, moschiotos. There you go. Yeah. Um, just remember Cheetos. Yeah. Uh, it has a, spe- a nine or ten inch bloom, classic <laughs> hibiscus flower. There's red, pink, white yeah. are the basic dinner colors. Dinner plate flowers. Yeah, dinner plate size. And yeah. it's one of the easiest plants to grow. The yeah. plant will get about four to five feet in the case of the regular form. The flowers just, only last one day, but mm-hmm. there's another one to take its place yeah, about the next six day. to eight weeks of bloom and yeah. they are you know my plant is about five feet across about five feet tall and it's an area that gets watered regularly but i wouldn't say it gets watered you know yeah. extra special it has big leaves yes. hence the yeah. reason for its thirst yes yeah. okay. they're, they're actually sold by my water plant supplier they will okay. grow in water they will grow on yeah. the edge of your pond or as a marginal plant for your water feature but they also just grow in the garden you don't have yeah. to be in a pond they die back in the winter but completely. come back every spring yeah, yeah they're deciduous completely down yeah. to the ground and then they spot back up in the spring and there they go 
Would that be referred to as a herbaceous perennial? They're woody. I mean, yeah, they, they form a, they're an interesting one. That's a, When you get into these different categories, I was just going over this with one of my staff people yesterday. We're looking at the salvia table, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to explain the difference between a shrub and an herbaceous perennial, and we're looking at salvia leucantha, the Mexican sage. Yeah. Well, which is that? Well, it's a shrub, but it's kind of herbaceous. Uh, there, there's a little bleeding from one category yeah. to the other in that group, but the hibiscus muscutus, the stems come up and bloom. They do get woody, but it functions like an herbaceous perennial in that you can cut it to the ground when it goes dormant in the wintertime and not have to worry about exactly where you're cutting to. But mark the area where it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to plant over Big it. Big substantial or plant it. and quite spectacular. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. it's just gorgeous. I, I found Little used, not much. Uh, most people just don't know them here. It's more, it, it's more common in the South, apparently. At our old place where I had room to plant lots of things, <laughs> the, uh, it, it did well. It gets this wistful yes, look when he says this. Yes. <laughs> it, it grew well under Underneath the shade of a tree. Yeah, it'll take some shade. Mine gets full morning sun, afternoon shade. It's near my bamboo, uh, near my lotus plant. Uh, So it's in that part of the garden. And so I'm watering that area a fair bit because of the bamboo. But it's gone periods of 10 days or more without water and been fine with it. So hibiscus moss geodos, as Don would say, think of Cheetos, think of moss, and then think about the uh, chips that are in the uh, break room here. Uh, that have been there a while. Getting sadly sidetracked yes. here. <laughs> so. All right. So anyway. The uh, other question that comes up yeah. here, we're talking about summer annuals. Well, can you still plant them? Summer is half over, right? Don't name any. I'm not going to name any all at right. all. Okay. But all yes, right. you can. You can still get color oh, yeah. in your garden. Oh, yeah, exactly. In fact, the challenging time in your garden is often that August to September period when all the things you rushed out and bought in May are looking a little tired. And hopefully you're doing some deadheading and grooming, pulling a few out because they're done. Some of those self-seeding annuals may be self-seeding at this point mm-hmm. but there are things that are annuals that you can plant now that will bloom all the way into the fall you're, and I you're walking mention, a tightrope i won't here, mention Don. a single you're one of them but there are some out there all right there are perennials that are great to plant now as don't well. confuse the people because <laughs> if somebody has a wrong answer we want to be able to point out that's correct the it's a wrong answer like uh, for instance ted and granite bay okay ted who, who knows what'll pop out of his mouth hi ted hi there guys how's your foot um, it's fine. Okay, that, good. That's great. I'm yeah. going to give you an answer, then I want to talk tomatoes a minute. Okay. How about the elegance? Which elegance? The uh, common one. No, elegance is a that's species a... name. Give us a genus. All right, Xenia? Yes. Okay, there okay, you there go. You Thank go. you. Yeah, you got to look, right. look correctly at the chart well, I'm here. looking for bonus points. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's right. Because Zinnia. for using the correct genus and species, even though Ted gave it to us backwards, right. Uh, the Zinnia, yes. the Zinnia elegans is uh, because he used the botanical name. He gets psychic bonus points. Cool for yes. for mentioning that. Yeah, Zinnias are fantastic summer annuals. I yeah. mean, they're they're as I mentioned on the other show, they're coming back. People are finally realizing that they're great garden plants. Old ones were tall. Uh, big yeah. background things. The new ones, these bedding types are fantastic. You're seeing a lot of the gardening services that take care of shopping centers and places like that just packing their beds with these Zahara series and some of the others. Anyway, you want to talk they about are, tomatoes. I, I have both of those. I've gotten, I've gone over when they go to seed in some of those uh, developments and got the seed. And yeah. that's great. My zinnias, they're wonderful cut flowers all summer long. You, there's a farmer in Yolo County who plants on the edge of his field every year. He was just featured in the Davis Enterprise again, two acres of zinnias, and he leaves out pruning shears, and he leaves out vases, and he lets people help themselves free. Oh, wow. And the only rule, the only rule, he's been doing this for several years, the only rule is if you cut yourself a bouquet, 
You have to cut another bouquet for someone who can't get there and take it uh-huh. to them. And then they bring back the vases. And he's been doing this for about five years. It's a wonderful story. Go to the Davis Enterprise yeah. online and read about it. Yep. Lucky yeah. guy. Just yeah. giving two acres as Tomatoes a minute. Okay. I've, I've grown this year only early girls. Mm-hmm. And I bought uh, four six-packs and planted them. But what I did last year is I took, when the season was over, I took my early girl tomatoes, the old ones, and put them in one spot. And so then when the this year came along, I watered in that spot, and they came up. And they're just as good as the ones I bought. Yeah, you got seed from them. Well, you can grow out a hybrid. It can be done. You can gradually grow it out to get what you've got is seedlings of your hybrid early girl. And uh, and they're not all. I mean, for, look for home gardeners. This this works fine in many cases. We don't recommend it. Yeah, because, if everything is an early girl, yeah, then there's no problem. Uh, even well, still, yes, there yes could it be will. A it'll, yes, you'll it have back yeah, cross. That's but, right. Yeah. So what you do when you're trying to grow out a hybrid is you grow several generations and you select the good ones yeah. and you discard the others. It can be done. There's people who have grown out early girl into an open pollinated. I, I think by now early girl is and is uh, well, has established a, itself. And it's, a, it's, it's not still a, it's, it's a hybrid, but it. I mean, yeah. you can do this so, at some point. A hybrid becomes an heirloom. You will find the variability from the seedlings is such that it's, yeah. you can't say you still have an early grill tomato, but you got tomatoes that are fine. They're not. They're not. Yeah. They're they're not bad. There's nothing wrong with them. So you're welcome to do that. And as, as time goes by, selecting the best ones, you'll get your own special tomato strain. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can name well, it and sell it. Thing. The only problem I have this year, there I've got plenty of them, and everything's going great. Is yeah. the deer? <laughs> they come in and trim the uh, green. <laughs> But the squirrels come in, and I see all every morning the uh, squirrels have got uh, tomatoes outside the cages yep. and yeah. half-eaten. Yes, yeah. the squirrels are kind of a new problem for us where we are, and they are driving people crazy. They, yes, they'll get them just as they ripen. They know exactly what color to pick those tomatoes. Ted, <laughs> Ted, you need young, you need young dogs roaming the property. And the, the I have an old I have an old dog, but you know what? <laughs> I do have a solution, and we won't talk about it over the air. Yeah, thank you, Ted. Yeah, lethal removal. You <laughs> got it. All right, see you later. Thanks, Ted. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. What did he win, Fred? He won from the folks at University of California Integrated Pest Management handouts on how to combat. Asian citrus psyllids and mosquitoes. How about deer and squirrels? Deer, deer and squirrels, yes. <laughs> Moose and squirrels, yes. yes. All right. Okay, the garden question, uh, the garden grappler question is still in effect. Name a warm season annual, something other than zinnias. 576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. It's the garden grappler. It's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Lining up winners, one through five, for the Garden Grappler. Name a warm season annual. Ted in Granite Bay said Zinnia. Can we get four more answers? If so, all five callers get a prize with a special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. Thomas in Sacramento, let Don Shore know what your answer is, and he'll... Either yes. chew your head off or say you're correct. I'm a, I'm a nice judge. Yeah, you are. Hey, thanks, Farmer Fred. Uh, I'm going to go with one that works well in my yard, and that's Cosmos. Absolutely. Specifically, 5P and Yep. Oh, yep. there you go. Somebody else gets psychic bonus points right. for using the genus and the species. Yep, one of All my right. favorite summer annuals. You can save the seed. You can plant them amongst your vegetables. You can uh, They bloom all season. They're great. What does the species bipinatus refer to, Don? Uh, the leaves are p- twice pinnate. 
Thank you. <laughs> Compounded twice. Yes. Compounded right. daily. Okay. All right. As opposed to... Uh, yeah. Only once, only once pinnate. Yes. Or a bipinnately compound, right. like a Chinese pistache. All right. Psychic bonus points for Thomas, besides the IPM handouts on combating Asian citrus psyllids and mosquitoes. Thomas, good answer. Thanks for the cosmos. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Fred. Love the show. Uh, me too. Thanks. Bye bye. The bipinnatus bi- bi- is the pink series, the pink, red, white ones, the tall ones. Mm-hmm. Right. They get about 36 inches tall. They get yeah, even four feet. There's some shorter types. Yeah. They're probably the biggest range of colors and forms in that species. But there's the other species as well, which I probably shouldn't mention because I suppose. Yeah, would, somebody could yeah. if they wanted to get really technical. Yep. Yeah. So maybe later. Zella in Lincoln, go ahead, name us a, a warm season annual. Sunflower. There you go. I mean, right. No botanical name needed. Everybody knows what that one is. Uh, sunflower, you, you plant from bird food, and up, <laughs> up comes this big flower. They've become a major tourist draw in Yolo and Solano counties. It's a big crop out there where they grow them for seed. They're mm-hmm. growing them for seed to sell to other farmers. Right along Interstate 80, you'll see 25, 50 cars pulled over taking pictures of the fields of sunflower. Right now, good time to go driving around and look at sunflower fields. And they are phototropic. They are photogenic, too. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, Gazelle. Great choice. Good. Thank you. All right. I'll be sending you that IPM info. It would be Helianthus annuus if you want to get the psychic points. Well, too late. Too late. <laughs> All right. Mark and Fair Oaks, go ahead. Give us a warm season annual. Yes. Hi. Hi. Uh, morning glories. Morning glory. Absolutely. Mm. My biggest garden mistake ever, and I absolutely love yeah, them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can relate. Everyone related to me who's ever seen my garden knows that I have made that mistake every yard I've lived in, and I, it, I still love them. Every yeah. family yeah. has the bad seeds, <laughs> right. and the morning glory is no exception. No, with... The flowers are incredible. I have so many pictures of them, and then and this they is the annual gorgeous. form. Then there's the perennial form, which is even worse. But Field yeah. bindweed, but it's yeah. beautiful white yeah. flowers right. every morning crawling on every space of your yard. It's an easy vine to grow, gives quick cover. The flowers are beautiful. If you could possibly yeah. cut the seeds off before it reseeds, that would be great. But uh, even, definitely, even the blue dawn flower is kind of thuggish. Yeah. Oh yes, definitely. I don't, can take over. I don't cut. I don't cut down the vines. No. Nope. I find that they flower sooner and yeah. much more prolific. I just have an area that we keep it in, yep. and they're about 15, 20 foot tall. Yeah, they'll climb <laughs> okay. up a tree with no problem. Yeah. It's a, it is a spectacular one, a great choice for a summer annual if you are aware of the problems you're potentially creating. Yes. <laughs> <How's that? laughs> Forewarned is forearmed, yes. as they say. One of yeah, those great back 40 clippers. plants. Yeah, yeah. clippers and, uh, and hose. So, yeah. Mark, good, good answer. I'll be sending you the uh, information from UCIPM on Asian citrus psyllids and mosquitoes. Excellent, my friend. Thank right. you Thank very you, much. Mark. We enjoy your show. Thank I appreciate you listening. Thank you. All right. All right. So that so we means we, we still need a fifth caller. Zinnia. We've had Zinnia. Cosmos. Cosmos. Sunflowers and morning glories, which yeah. would be a lovely garden right there, actually. Yeah. Let the morning glories climb up the sunflowers and mm-hmm. surround them with zinnias and cosmos. You would have so many pollinators in there. Yeah. All of those draw bees and butterflies, you name it. Sunflower is an underrated pollinator yeah. for attracting uh, the beneficials. Actually, it was the first thing that drew hummingbirds to my property was when mm-hmm. we planted, you know, we had we bought this place. It was a farm. Our house was surrounded by sugar beets and nothing else. Remember sugar beets? Yes. And uh, I planted a row of sunflowers, and to our enormous surprise, hummingbirds were all over them. They yeah. love the, it's just a little face full of tubular flowers, yeah. as far as they're concerned. The pollinators in our life love the flat headed flowers yeah. because they don't have that long proboscis, and uh, they can easily land on the flower and get the nectar they need and move on. Yeah. So we're looking for the fifth caller in today's Garden Grappler. Name a warm season annual. Caller 5 gets a bonus prize, too. What is the bonus prize? Uh, it's a book. 
Okay. That's, okay. I'll tell you more later. Okay. All right. 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Name a warm season annual. When can I start planting cool season annuals? Um, I really wait. You're talking about the, I shouldn't mention any names because people might get confused, but I usually wait till the weather feels like it's changing, which is October. October. Yeah. The growers have them in September. And yeah. a lot of these things, if you put them in in September, we're warm here. In September, we're warm here in the first two to three weeks of October. Sometime October seems to be about right for a lot of those things. These are the plants that bloom November, December, January, February, March, April, you know, right on through the winter. And they don't like to go in when it's too warm. They stretch or they get overwatered or they fall apart or whatever. So these are not not things to put in until it really feels like fall. Unlike, say, the cool season vegetables, which you may want to get an early start on some of those. If you if you haven't planted your Brussels sprouts by the end of <laughs> July, you're probably going to be disappointed. Well, cut it out with I, the Brussels I, and sprouts. And actually, if someone told me this years ago, and I agree with this, if you want really good results with cauliflower, you probably should get it planted in August or early September because mm-hmm. it really needs to get a good, other than the little early snowball that all the nerves... All the other more old-fashioned varieties need a good head start to get going. Uh, so those should start going in August, September. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are varieties, of course, that can go in later, and things like broccoli and stuff you can plant all through the fall and into the winter. But What those, about carrots? Carrots, people plant year-round, and they get good results year-round as long as the moisture is even, even in the mm-hmm. spring or early summer. But the flavor is best mm-hmm. when they're developing with freezing weather. You get any of the root crops that have a starch will have a higher sugar content if they get some chilling. And by chilling, I mean some frost. Now, what so about carrots it? should be planted in September Thank you for best harvest in February, All roughly. Right. Because if you planted carrot seeds now, they may not even germinate because the soil's too warm. Right. right. And Plus, they're slow to germinate to begin with. That's a little trick you need to know. Yeah. If you're planting carrots, soak the seed overnight. Are you going um, to have a bed for carrots? Is that in, in your 19 raised beds I, in your backyard? I came across. I, I, I came <laughs> How many did you build? I, I, there are, well, now there, there was supposed to be eight, but they had to cut three and a half. So that would mean there's uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven beds. raised beds. Eleven raised beds. Yeah, yeah. Plus, I mean, the whole front yard is, in effect, raised beds. Oh, you're going to do your vegetables in front? Maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking edi- maybe a few. Edibles. Edible ornamentable, ornamentable edibles. Yeah, yes. someone actually tried to trademark ornamentables. 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 It's okay. hard to say, but it refers to plants like, let's say, uh, I'm using it broadly, feijoa, the pineapple. Feijoa. You grow it. I, I, yeah. it beats me. You grow it, and then the flowers are edible, and it has nice fruit, but it's basically a landscape plant. Right. Kumquats, yeah. calamondins, which you're planting more for the. The, the fruit's a nice bonus, but they're very attractive citrus that would go nicely in your front yard. All right, let me light that down. Yeah, kumquats and calamondins, I think, are some of the showiest citrus. I think mandarins are very attractive. Yes, I do, the, too. And, and Mineola tangelo is a very ornamental plant as mm-hmm. well. But the Miwa kumquat with this nice round, bushy growth habit, the Nagami, which is a yeah. larger one, uh, these are uh, they're really attractive. Yeah, actually, plants. yeah, the yeah, kumquats are attractive yeah. as far as their edibility goes, though. Well, well they make, uh, everybody should eat one once, and some kids especially love them. Uh, yes. Calamondin, whenever I have calamondins in my nursery yeah. and people from the Philippines come in, they immediately say, oh, calamansi. They know it right away. Yeah. It's used quite a bit there as a garnish with the way we would use a lemon or a lime. And it's a very attractive plant. There's even a variegated one that's very pretty. See, the only reason I'm doing this radio show anymore is to just to get ideas <laughs> from nursery people on there what I should go. plant in my front yard. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, Feijoa, I mean, that's one. Oh, yeah. I don't know how many pineapple guavas a year you would eat. Mine produces about 400, and yeah. I can't eat anywhere near that many. No, but, uh, but they're still they're they're great. easy they're to grow, and they're Incredibly drought-tolerant, yeah. tough plant, great yep. for the garden. So, All right. Caller 5. In today's Garden Grappler, 
Really? Really? It's Phil yeah, and Moraga? Yeah, I hey, I, I, heard, I heard Ted call, so I figured it was my turn. All right. <laughs> okay, so what is your summer annual for the bonus prize? Yeah. What, were, what were our four that we did? Oh, okay. Well, they were Zinnia, Cosmos, Sunflower, and Morning Glory. Okay. Behind um, door I'm number up. five. <laughs> I hate to do this to you, Fred. I'm going to give you three. three. How about calendula, opium nope. poppy. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'll stop here. Calendula is a and winter. That's a cool, that's season, a cool season annual. Annual. Okay. How about opium poppies? No. It's perennial. How about, that's uh, a perennial. How about California poppy. Yeah. Oh, no, Phil. Cool season. You know, you had three choices. Phil, and you blew them all. <laughs> cool. I'll yeah. mention. Cannabis. No. California, California poppy is a, California poppy is a uh, mm. cool season annual. Yeah. That's yeah, even a yeah. week perennial. So. Sorry, Phil. Oh, come on. No, well, Phil. No, that's cool. Hopefully somebody else is calling. There you All go. Right. Yeah, there is. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye, Phil. <laughs> All right. That was good. Oh. Very entertaining. And no, I'm, I will not accept cannabis because it's not grown for the ornamental flowers. Yeah, and in some areas, it's a perennial. Yeah. Anyway, yes. <laughs> Sally in Penn Valley, please give us a warm season annual. I got marigolds and petunias. There you go. There you go. Thank, Thank you very you. much. All right. Kind of wondering when those would come in. Yeah, yeah there you go. Marigolds, petunias, the, and, and so much more. The absolute classic yeah. summer. Thank annuals. you so much. And I also had a question from a few weeks ago about the brugnansia that you had that were being eaten. Yes. Mm. You never did say what it was, I don't think. Snails. <sighs> what was eating the leaves? Was it snails? I would guess if they were big holes, if it was big holes, I'd guess snails, but earwigs really like Brugmansia. That can yeah. be a real issue. He's talking about your own Brugmansia? Yeah, I, I took have... some, now, the benefit of living in, in suburban purgatory is yes. I can go to my neighbors who are growing a wide variety of plants and right. take cuttings right. and, and start my own, and that's what I did with these Brugmansias. Yeah. The, Pretty easy the Charles Grimaldi, yeah. 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 It's a huge it, plant if you get it going. something was eating the leaves. If it's April to May, I would guess earwigs, they are, they do like Brugmansia. Uh, yeah. Other than that, I would have looked at snails most likely. When people bring in samples to me, the first thing I look at is how big are the holes? Yeah. And where are they happening on the leaf? Yeah. And people are always amazed how high earwigs will climb to feed on something. Right. So... We have to go. Okay. Sally in Penn Valley, congratulations. I'm I gonna... had another leaf hole question, but that's okay. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be sending you a book, okay? I'm going to send you the book from Rodale, All About Lawns. So that'll be oh, coming your way. Oh, Sally, I'm going yeah. to put you on hold, Sally, so Mike can get all the pertinent information that we can uh, send you. All right. Don Shore has to go open a nursery. That's correct. All right. Well, well, it's great to be here. Where are you going? I'll be at 1607 Fifth Street, right off downtown Davis. Look for the barn. Would that be Redwood Barn Nursery? That's Redwood Barn Nursery right there. Can't miss us. Noon to five? Yeah, and look for the guys in the shade in the back. All right. right. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. When we come back, we're talking to veterinarian master gardener Heidi Napier about your pets and poisonous plants and other poisons you should be very careful about. We'll do that when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Today. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. In the garden email bag, Christy writes in and says, I have two indoor cats and would like to add a few house plants to my home. I'm aware some plants are toxic to pets, but when I did a Google search, the result had conflicting answers. For example, one website said that the spider plant was toxic to cats and to avoid it, but another website stated that spider plants were was safe for cats. What do you know about spider plants? Well, 
I don't know that much about spider plants and cats, but I know a veterinarian who's also a master gardener, Heidi Napier, Eldorado County Master Gardener, a Cameron Park veterinarian. And uh, Heidi, I, according to the uh, ASPCA, spider plants are non-toxic, but I bet you get that question a lot. Yes, I do. I get questions about um, about toxic plants, and I actually don't see poisoning in cats very often. Uh, with one exception, because cats aren't as likely to chew on things as dogs. Dogs are sort of, they eat anything. And um, cats are a little more more particular. But one thing that is really extremely poisonous to plants, uh, I mean, to cats, is lilies. Daylilies and um, regular, like, tiger lilies and the kind of florist lilies that you find in... in uh, flower arrangements those are quite quite toxic so the, we're talking and, about the members of the genus lilium as opposed to say yes. alstroemerias which are peruvian lilies correct you're you're right and my favorite i i wouldn't trust google i would go to aspca um poisonous plant directory they have a wonderful website I have a bookmark, the ASPCA Poison Plants, and they give lists of plants that are toxic to cats, dogs, and horses, and they're alphabetically arranged, so you can go through and find just about any plant you want, and it'll tell you uh, what kind of symptoms it causes and how toxic it is, and um, it's very helpful. I use it a lot. Now you mentioned dogs are uh, inveterate chewers, and they are. Yeah. They will they will eat just about anything. In in the poison cases that you've handled with dogs, what is most likely that source of the poison? With dogs, a lot of times, unfortunately, we don't know what poisons them unless the owner has actually seen the dog um, eat a specific plant or a pesticide. So that's a really hard one to answer. I do know that uh, the sago palms are extremely toxic to dogs, and they're becoming a more more popular plant in the home landscapes. The other thing that I have seen is um, mushroom poisoning in dogs, particularly puppies. And that's a real tough one because... Uh, you know, as you know, in master gardeners, we are I was taught do not, identify mushrooms it's too dangerous and too difficult so you know i leave that to the folks with a with a phd in botany or mycology so um but yeah poisonous mushrooms can be a problem also and that would be especially problematic in the springtime when uh, mushrooms are popping up in lawns so it behooves pet owners Mm -hmm. then to get out to the yard before their dog does and and rake up those mushrooms yes you're right and don't try to identify them. Just assume that they may be toxic if you see them popping up in your in your yard. What are some of the more common reasons for pet poisoning that you come across? Um, I would have to say that the most common poisoning I have seen in dogs recently is probably rat bait. It used to be snail bait, but they have changed the formulation of snail bait. Metaldehyde is rarely used anymore. It's now the iron uh, iron compounds that don't work as fast on the snails, but they're much, much less toxic. So the rat baits are unfortunately 
you know, they're meant to be tasty to rats, which means they're also tasty to dogs. And dogs will, will actively seek out rat bait. They'll tear open a box of it to get at it. The, um, the traps that supposedly are dog safe, I wouldn't trust the dog, uh, the, the traps because, you know, they're boxes that you can put the bait in and supposedly only a rat can get in, but a dog can't get at it. But a, a real determined big dog can probably get through it. Um, so one thing I wanted to mention is that, first of all, I don't recommend baits for rodents at all, ever anymore, ever, because I have seen too many poisonings of dogs when the owner would say, but I didn't put any out, or, um, but gee, it was in my garage, and but somehow the dog got into it, and maybe the neighbor put it out. They're very dangerous to dogs, and there are basically three types of and of um, uh, poisons used in rodent baits. One is the anticoagulants, and actually, um, if you know what Coumadin is, if you've ever had blood clots or known anybody who has blood clots, they'll put you on Coumadin, which is an anticoagulant, and Coumadin is exactly the same as Warfarin. It's called Warfarin when it's in rat bait. And so this is a a drug that is very useful at the correct doses, but fatal if you, if you take too much. There are also several other anticoagulants available and with various long unpronounceable names. And recently the state of California decided that these anticoagulant, um, some of the anticoagulant rat baits, the more potent ones, are too dangerous to, ca- to, um, predators of uh, rodents. That would include hawks, owls, cats, um, foxes, coyotes, other wildlife that, that eat rodents. And so what the state has done has restricted the use of the anticoagulant of some of them, the more powerful ones, to only license uh, pesticide users. So the ones that you can purchase over the counter are a little bit safer and they actually they have an there's an excellent cheap antidote just vitamin K it's wonderful because if we know a dog got into rat bait we we just put them on vitamin K the other thing I should mention is you know I mean I I'm concerned with dogs and cats but a lot of children in this country are poisoned by um, rodent bait, snail bait, and all kinds of other pesticides. So, it, they're, and you know, if you have a two-year-old and they see the dog eating the the uh, rodent bait, the decon or whatever, they're probably going to try it too because you know they're like two-year-olds are like dogs; they put everything in their mouth. So you know, um, uh, these these products are also very dangerous for children. I guess it's time to bring back mouse traps. That yes, I was going to mention that is that's what I recommend now, and they they have a a really a um uh, a, a rat zapper. It's a an elect an electric uh, little box, battery operated that kills the rat with um it electrocutes them. And you, I've used it, and it um I have one, and my neighbor showed it to me and he cleaned the rats out of his attic and 
I got rid of them. They were eating my tomatoes last year, and so I, I trapped the little buggers. And um, and it works quite well. You can bait the, the trap with, um, oh, you know, peanut butter or bacon, cheese, things like that, that they, that they really seem to like. And it works fast, and it, it's very effective. I have used the rad zapper, too, and it does ah. work. Yes. And one thing I should mention is that if you do kill a rat with a trap or bait or whatever, don't handle it with your bare hands. You put gloves on uh, and and wash your hands afterwards because uh, rats can carry some rather nasty diseases that you don't want to expose yourself to. Well, on one hand, it's good news to know that there aren't that many plants that are fatal to our dogs and cats. On the other hand, we have to be more judicious in the way we go after the mice and rats that uh, live around us as well. Yes. Heidi Napier, Eldorado County Master Gardener, Veterinarian in Cameron Park, uh, thanks for enlightening us today. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Coming up next weekend, July 22nd and 23rd, Saturday and Sunday, the Sacramento Bromeliad and Carnivorous Plant Society is holding its 47th annual show and sale at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center at 3330 McKinley Boulevard in McKinley Park in Sacramento. What happens at a bromeliad and carnivorous plant society show and sale? Let's find out. We're talking with Eric Trigg, a longtime member of the bromeliad and carnivorous plant society. And Eric, usually this time of the year, you're traveling around the state looking for plants to bring in for the show. Yeah, we usually do a trip down to Southern California, and um, we pick up a lot of different plants that uh, you usually don't see up here. Um, there's very standardized plants that show up at the Home Depot and Lowe's, things like that. We try to bring in stuff that uh, is definitely unique. Uh, this year we're bringing a lot of stuff in from Florida that actually grow real well here. And we're going to emphasize plants that you can actually grow in the Sacramento area. There's a lot of exotic plants that you know grow in other places like Nepenthes and stuff like that. They grow in Southeast Asia. A lot of those are very difficult to grow in Sacramento area because you don't have the humidity and the growing conditions. So what we're going to emphasize this year is especially plants that you can uh, take care of in the Sacramento area. For those who don't know, explain what a bromeliad or a carnivorous plant are. Okay, carnivorous plant, when people think of carnivorous plants, they usually think of the Venus flytrap. Um, There's about 650 different types of carnivorous plants basically in seven different uh, species categories. And um, the the frustrating thing for people, what they don't understand, especially carnivorous plants, need to go dormant during the winter. So I usually, when I do a talk, ask people how many have had a Venus flytrap, you know, and people, all of them, almost all of them raise their hand. And I said, how many had it for more than six months and their hands go down? And what they don't realize that in October and November, most carnivorous plants start to deteriorate and they start to go dormant. And so people think the plant has died and it needs that dormancy to come back in the spring, comes back bigger and stronger than ever. What you need to do is you still need to keep them in in water a little bit. You keep them damp. They don't need to be sitting in water like they do when they're full grown. 
but um, they do they do make a recovery, and all of a sudden it's like Christmas. You know, you open a it's like opening a new package in April and May, and you see a totally new plant coming to life. They, and they do need specialized water. We, you know, they need reverse osmosis water or something. They don't do well a lot of times with the tap water because of the chlorine and other things that are in the water. Explain what bromeliads are. Okay, bromeliads only basically grow in the uh, in the Americas. There's one place in Africa that uh, bromeliads grow, and these are plants you see like at the Arden Fair Mall in the food court. You see a lot of bromeliads there. They usually have the green leaves and the flower shoots up the middle of the, of the plant, and they're beautiful. There's a varieties. There's three thousand different varieties of bromeliads. Most common one uh, people know about is a pineapple. And um, uh, the thing is, what people don't understand with bromeliads is once the original mother plant flowers, it starts to go downhill maybe after six months or so. And when it goes downhill, that's when it starts shooting up pups. And you get all these brand new plants uh, coming up. Um, I had one that looked totally dusted. I mean, the plant looked the color of a, a grocery bag from the market, the brown and it was crisp and all that stuff. If you turned it around in the back, it had six brand new plants coming up, six new pups. Someone, I, we had that as best to show at one of our shows, and uh, someone put a sign on and said, I'm not dead, I'm just having babies. And you turn it around in the back, and here's all these brand new plants coming up. And that's what they do is they, you, you leave that plant that looks almost dead, and it will shoot up new uh, new growth. And it's new plants that will flower. I went out and separated four bromeliads one day. I ended up with 30 plants. That's how many pups I had with it. Um, you know, the plants are watered from the top down. Well, I have them in pots, but they don't get their nutrients from the soil. People ask what kind of soil do you use. We use almost anything because all of the soil does is anchor the plant. And if you go to places like we went to Costa Rica, Bromeliads grew on everything. I mean, they were up in the trees. They were on power lines where they had the um, uh, where they supported with uh, the cables and stuff like that. Supported the poles. There were bromeliads growing on them. Everything grows, you know, down South America, Central America. Bromeliads are all over the hillsides. They grow where it's rocky. They grow in all kinds of different uh, adverse conditions. I'll tell you, we enjoy our bromeliads. We, we've got about 300 of them. And we go out there, and almost every day you start seeing new flowers. And each one has, has a different type of flower. And uh, they're beautiful plants. You've been to our show, Fred. You've seen the variety, haven't you? It is one of the most colorful garden shows anybody can go to. It Bring your camera, definitely. The Sacramento Bromeliad and Carnivorous Plant Society's 47th Annual Show and Sale next weekend, July 22nd and 23rd at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock at McKinley Park, 3330 McKinley Avenue. Eric Trigg of the Sacramento Bromeliad and Carnivorous Plant Society, thanks for a few minutes of your time today. Fred, thank you for putting this on again. When you get right down to it, those Bromeliads are really hard to beat. Now, if you're looking for something to do this weekend, I tell you what, over at the Shep, at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center today, there at 3330 McKinley Boulevard, if you like irises, you have until 3 o'clock to get over there because the Sacramento Iris Society is having their annual rhizome sale going on. 
It's a two-day sale of recently dug iris rhizomes yesterday and today. Hundreds of varieties. Each specimen will be labeled with a cultivar name and a description of the flower appearance. So if you like irises and you're looking for more of this uh, drought-tolerant plant, check out uh, the Iris Society's annual rhizome sale going on at the Sacramento or Shepherd Garden and Art Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard. That's going on today. Also going on today, not too far away, the California State Fair, the Sacramento County Master Gardeners have a booth at the farm at Cal Expo to answer your garden questions, help you uh, figure out if it's a friend or foe as far as a pest goes. And right next to the um, booth that the Master Gardeners have to answer your questions there at Cal Expo, you're going to see a blacksmithing demonstration. And our pal Steve Zion, Sacramento's organic advocate, is also a blacksmith. So he can also uh, answer your gardening questions while he's pounding metal, really, at the uh, State Fair today, going on until 8 o'clock tonight. And, of course, the Master Gardeners will be out there every day during the run of the State Fair through July 30th. The farm, if you haven't visited the farm at Cal Expo, it is behind Building B. And if you want to teach the kids or the grandkids where food comes from, what food looks like while it's growing, it doesn't come from a box. It comes from the soil. And they have a great demonstration area of a lot of the major crops of California growing right there at the farm, including aquaculture, uh, hydroponics. They have a, the kids will love this, an insect pavilion where they can see insects, both good guys and bad guys, up close and personal. So you get a good idea of not only what the adults look like, but what the Younger stages of the good guys and bad guys look like as well. That's at uh, Cal Expo at the farm. Maybe Mike Murray ought to go over to the farm and check out the insect pavilion so he knows what a baby ladybug looks like. Okay, now I'm not going to tell you why I said that, but you can guess. As we all know, baby ladybugs look very different than adult ladybugs. Baby ladybugs look like alligators wearing San Francisco giant warm-up jackets. And the in-between stage from a baby ladybug to an adult ladybug looks sort of like a ladybug except really wrinkly. And you don't want to harm those. Those are the good guys. All right. Meanwhile, what else is going on? Uh, Master food preservers have a lot of demonstrations coming up here in Sacramento County. Pickling, changing cucumbers to pickles, and then how to preserve them. That's coming up Wednesday, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., at the Master Food Preservers Auditorium, which is also the Cooperative Extension Auditorium at 4145 Branch Center Road near the corner of Bradshaw and Kiefer. That again Wednesday evening from uh, 6.30 until 8.30 p.m. Uh, one more thing to mention is harvest August 5th, and that'll be at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in Fair Oaks Park. I still think it's the one great day of a garden event in Sacramento. If you go to one garden event in Sacramento, make it Harvest Day. Just about every expert, every knowledgeable person about growing things in your front yard and backyard will be there. They have uh, sprinkler experts, tree experts, rose, native plant, so many different uh, venues there to choose from as far as getting your questions answered and uh, just a beautiful site as well, the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, which is in Fair Oaks Park. And again, Harvest Day, it's free, Saturday, August 5th, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. All right, time for me to get on out of here, making room for the news, followed by the KSTE Farm Hour, where we have details about uh, 
some garden chemicals that may or may not be banned and how useful they are, really, to California agriculture. And we'll also talk about how to protect poultry in a heat wave. And also, if you have flooded orchards, uh, what to do about watering your valuable crops there. That's all coming up in the next edition of the KSDE Farm Hour, right after the news, right here on Talk 650 KSDE. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your support. We'll do it all again next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Bye-bye.